0: everybody and welcome to the northeast scene podcast this is keith and tommy tonight we have member of iconic bands such as count me out renee hartfeld and memorial pete appleby pete welcome how you doing i'm great it's good to be here thanks for having me on absolutely now this is a funny story i i've actually been trying to track you down for a while to get you on the show now are you a dentist i am a dentist that's you. okay. So I knew it was you now because I, I would search your name. And you know, Pete Appleby dentistry would come up and I'd be like, he's a dentist now. <laughs> and, and then I, like, my brain just wouldn't like allow that connection to happen. So I'd get distracted and go off somewhere that's else. That's
1: hysterical. I, I, there there was times I I did think about that maybe that uh, that's gonna be the first thing you're gonna see about me if you were to look.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. So one day, you know, I, I saw a Count Me Out mentioned somewhere and I was like, all right, I gotta get this guy on the show, so I search again, and I pull up the dentist picture of you, and then I pull up an old Renee Hartfeld picture, and I'm doing like a like a like a uh, side by side.
1: Yeah, oh, this yeah. Is work. <laughs> and, All right. Wow. I'm impressed. Yeah, and
0: and I was like, this this is him. And then to <laughs> to really make sure it was you, I went on the dentist site, and it said like, oh yeah, he uh, he enjoys music, playing music or something. I'm like, that's him. That's got to be him. And then. I realized you're following us on
1: Instagram. I didn't even realize that. Which is funny because I think Jason Mazzola had tagged something where you maybe had mentioned Memorial. Yes. Yeah. And so that's how I learned about you guys. That's okay. insane. So he connected us.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I did, I did a Renee Hartfeld slash Memorial post, and then I posted The Great Lakes because that's an awesome song. And now here we are
1: that's uh, so sweet and it's so wild that it was the great lakes because that uh and maybe i'm wrong i don't think that was ever released it was posted on the band's myspace as a as a b-side like i don't know 12 years God, ago myspace yeah <laughs> yeah <Okay. laughs> that sounds about right though I, I could see us doing that yeah um but yeah i i anyway well I, I had lost that track myself i didn't even have a copy of it so it's pretty wild <laughs> well-
0: I'm glad I uh, I did a low-quality rip of it when I did, because I knew, I knew eventually this is going to be gone, and I'll never hear yeah, it again. Yeah, same here. You may have the last copy. I don't know. I mean, seriously. <laughs> oh, thank God I have it then. So, Pete, first of all, where are you located?
1: I'm in Richmond. I'm back in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Have you always lived there, or did you live other places? No, I was born in Chicago, right outside of Chicago, and moved to Richmond in 93. Oh, okay. Um, and... I was in Charlottesville for college and then I went out to LA for a year but essentially have stayed in Richmond. It's just that awesome.
0: Why did you move to Richmond?
1: Well, I was young. I was only 13 and uh my wow. yeah, the old man got a new job, so we picked up, moved down to Richmond. I was kicking and screaming. I hated the idea of it. You know, just coming from Chicago, it seemed like it was just going to be farmland and backwoods and kind of southern philosophy and everything from what little i understood at that age but i definitely was aware of that mm-hmm. and not looking forward to it and i felt like i was kind of in this metropolitan area of skateboarding and we were starting to take the l downtown no sort of kind of the city was just opening up a little bit and then it was like oh yeah we're leaving oh, so nice. yeah you know but so we ended up back in, in richmond and but that's really where I discovered probably music, or at least playing music. I had some I had a close friend Chris Swan in Chicago that was a phenomenal musician. His parents mm-hmm. played in symphony, and so I was certainly exposed to it, but wasn't really playing it. Um, played trumpet in the band, in the ah. school band.
0: So when did when did you pick up a guitar for the first time?
1: Uh, I want to say it was like '95. My brother uh, was starting to get into like the punk, Richmond punk scene. Yeah. And, um, through that decided he was going to, he bought a drum set because he wanted to start a band and his best friend wanted to play drums. And so he got a drum set and we had a basement and all of a sudden we had a drum set and then he had a bass guitar. And then as it goes, when you have the, you know, the drum set and you have practice at your house, the, the instruments are usually left there and collect there. And I was of course picking all that stuff up. Um, and we were doing little bands together and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I was picking up the guitar. So probably around then, but you know, learning to play guitar as you would learning, you know, as a punk guitarist. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When I when I figured out someone taught me like basic tablature, how to read it in one of my high school classes. It was was like I had discovered uranium. I'm like, wait, I can do this.
1: And that's how that's how I
0: made (laughs) the jump from bass to guitar.
1: That's sweet. And I mean, it was a bit like, you know, unless you were taking lessons, yeah, you could go like buy a book. And I mean. Kids did it and there were there were people just already so good at that age, but um, it was hard. It was like you had to mine out information on how to play just like the whole idea behind playing power chords and those types of songs. It was literally just right, listen to the record and do what your friend did. You know, is that yeah. kind of education, at least for me, figuring out chords and how things work together. I sure wish I had taken lessons to start. Probably would have been a lot shorter path.
0: Yeah, I took a few lessons, but it just wasn't like they want to teach you theory and they bring out the Mel Bay bass book. And like,
1: why do they always do that? They need to hit you first with the ACDC song and then go to that. Yes. yes right? Like,
0: I wanted to learn Texas is the Reason and Promise Ring and Weezer and like, <laughs> yes. I, you know, they they just weren't feeling that. They
1: were probably not feeling that. They were like, what?
0: Yeah.
2: See yeah. the dude. I took. I took. I took two guitar lessons, and the guy I took it from. Uh, the first lesson was literally like, "Here's how you tune the guitar. Here are the strings on the guitar. Um, the, these are what tone knobs do, and like a basic like." primer on like what a guitar does and I was like okay cool and he's like yeah I want you to like come up with like an idea of like a song that you might want to learn and I was like all right cool and when I came back I think I was in maybe seventh grade I was like I want to learn this Metallica song he's like okay hold on one second and he literally walked away and went to the front of the it was at a music store and he went to the front of the music store and got the book off the rack and made a photocopy of it and was like okay hold on and he was like showing me how to read the tab and I was like oh, okay, so I remember I walked out to the car when I was done my lesson, and I asked my mom, I was like, I need $20, and she's like, why? And I'm like, I'm going to buy this book about music, and she's like, oh, okay, and I walked back in, I bought the Metallica Black Album transcriptions, and then walked right back out to the car and never went back to a guitar lesson ever <laughs> wow. <again. laughs> wow. Ever. Like, my mom was like, that's the best $20 I've ever spent. Like, it was yeah. like, you sat in your room for like eight months. I was like, wow.
0: That sounds like a cool teacher though.
2: Dude, he was the, the nicest guy. He actually played in a bunch of bands um in Willow Grove yeah. that were like um cover bands and he was really big into he played in a Led Zeppelin cover band and a Black Sabbath cover band and then I forget what the other one was, but he was in a like super good music. His name was Lou. I don't remember what his real like his last name was, but he was a really, really nice guy and he was just like, Yeah, dude, if you want to learn how to play guitar, this is how you
1: do it. And it was luck at a draw like that, too, that you would, if you got a good guitar teacher or something like that, that could totally send you on a different trajectory than you got the guy that was phoning it in. And now you have your, you know, it's at your fingertips for free. You just have to look. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible what the internet's done. Well, my daughter does, uh, like, we we do guitar lessons together,
2: and we do it through, um, there's like a free, uh, there's a bunch of free different things on uh, YouTube, but she literally will hear a song and go, I want to learn how to play this song. So she picked uh, – last week she picked this song from Brave, and she was like, I want to learn this song. And I was like, okay. And I found somebody that did a tutorial, and it was just – it's four chords. And I was like, cool, let's just do it. Let's Let's go downstairs and learn it. And then we put it on the iPad, and then we slow it down and do like the – playback speed and put it to 50% and we just go through it piece by piece and learn. That's nice. It's gotta be fun. Like learning stuff like that with your kids. I mean, that's the dream, man. It's an amazing feeling at the same time. It really is like, um, it's so frustrating because like, I get it right away. And then I'm like, all right here, just put your hands like this. And she's struggling. Like, she's just like, well, my fingers aren't big enough. And it's like, she has a, a, three quarter size guitar um, but like, she's still like really has a hard time positioning her fingers. And it's like, so it, it, it's, it's ultimately, it's so rewarding when she makes these breakthroughs. But the biggest thing I've learned from it is like really learning how to be patient. Like, it's just, it's the ultimate practice of like, okay, I got it. Now show somebody else to do it. Like it, it's, it's, it's my job in a nutshell anyway. I mean, it's what I do for a living is teaching people how to do math, but it's like, it's really the same exact idea, but almost in slow motion. Like, you really have to break it down piece by piece. Like, how do you move your fingers? Where is your thumb on the back? How much pressure? Are you- and you don't want to be, like, the asshole dead, like, no, you're doing it wrong. And, like, oh, yeah. Well, no, cause that, that's the biggest thing is, is, like, you consistently have to take a step back from it and be, like, okay, what am I doing in this moment to make her have fun with this. Because ultimately, the moment she stops having fun with it is the the moment I want her to step away from it. Pete, you're living in Virginia. You're learning to play
0: guitar. How did you discover the scene? It was through your older brother?
1: Yeah, classic story, right? But he was driving, myself and my friends, and we were skateboarding together. And, you know, through skateboarding, I think it's an interesting hobby because they're like older kids doing it, younger kids doing it. So I think to some degree, that got us involved in Going to shows and having knowing people that were old enough to drive us, so and there was you know unlike Chicago at least to what I knew, Richmond had this really burgeoning punk hardcore scene with some really awesome bands. I'm sure heard of a and oh yeah, totally. was falling was a definitely Richmond's one of the, the bigger hardcore bands and all that was transitioning because it was kind of '90s sound. So I definitely yeah. remember Earth Crisis their seven inch their second seven inch that was like an enormous. That came out. We were just like, oh, my God. And we kind (laughs) of jumped from uh, a little more like Gorilla Biscuits. And we didn't know anything. But those types of bands that we were just finding at the record store um, into that sound. And then Richmond really embraced it. And there was that like every weekend there would be some sort of show with that kind of sound going on. And that was it. I was hooked. And I was playing in high school in like a pop punk band called The Nuns. Yeah. Uh, so I really kind of said, all right, I'm going to play drums. Like I can, you know, and that was really where I cut my teeth, just learning how to be in a band.
2: I think uh, it, Burn the Priest was
1: from Richmond too. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I mean, so many, if you're really looking at GWAR. Saw <laughs> Gore
2: skateboard Guar's Gwar. from there? Really? I just knew the dudes from Lamb of God and like Burn the Priest guys where I was like, these are like the tightest musicians I've ever seen live. And I was like, where are these dudes from? And they're like, oh,
1: somewhere down south. Yeah, Lamb of God is insane. <laughs> insane. But it was cool, though, to have, I mean, um, to have a veil. I mean, that was such a huge band to see that at a young age and like be like, wow, look at this, like huge venue, all these people going crazy for it. Um, and just that whole aesthetic and vibe, it, I was immediately drawn to it. But anyway, I started playing drums in in high school. And then through that, I'm actually trying to think how I got involved with Count Me Out, um, originally called What the Fuck.
2: I was going to say, I, I saw that on uh, I, somebody's write-up about it. was like, you guys, your first couple shows were What the Fuck. And it was like, thankfully, they changed their
1: name. <laughs> oh, like... yeah, so uh, that's right. We started, a, we started a hardcore band called Balance. And uh, it was my buddy, Jared, sang for the band. And we, I think we had two singers. And we were just, you know, kind of a moshy hardcore band and, and loved it. And Charlie Flexen saw us play at Twisters. And he was starting What, what the Fuck with Jason Mazzola and a few other people. And then all of a sudden, they needed a drummer. He didn't want to play drums anymore. He wanted to play bass, so I got involved with them. But I was still in high school, and they were in college. So my uh,
2: just real quick, Pete. Like I, this is you can cut this, Keith, because this is gonna be this is gonna be totally nerdy shit. Uh, I, I was just looking over. So, so you went to UVA. Did you go like right from high school to UVA, and then like playing bands for a while while you're in UVA, or like how did it right. work?
1: So no, I I started. I got a scholarship to VCU and um i have scholarship so i lived at home and went to vcu for two years and wanted to do for count me out because i really want to play in count me out. i didn't want to go around. i was going to go to virginia tech but it's too far away and i was like screw that i'm gonna stay at vcu and then two years into vcu i i mean i was loving life everything was good but i applied to uva to transfer there because i thought that was i could go to that school it was only 45 minutes an hour away i could make that work and still with the band um and it's Charlottesville right? and i was a big i'm huge rock climber i was really big rock climber then and i thought oh, okay that's you know it's just a, it'll be a perfect mix um and proceeded to do that but uh yeah that's another story because in a way that sort of it was melancholy man i was so driven because i was pre-med and i just went as a transfer so i didn't know anyone i had a few friends from high school who went but we kind of diverged on paths and i yeah it was wild man i ended up living uh I moved to Cherry Street Avenue and I lived in like a four-person efficiency where everyone had their own bedroom and bathroom, but we shared a living room and kitchen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I like, you know, I leave VCU. I'm like with all my friends, I'm in this, I'm kind of in the mix there. I'm living in my mom's attic. Um, I really had, I really was enjoying myself and then went to UVA, got Uber focused and, you know, it's a different school environment for sure. And then I'm living in this efficiency with like, a cab driver, a graduate student, um, these, these like four people that like would essentially got sold on like coming over to the States on like a work study program, but really yeah. just cleaned oh, up the movie shit. theater overnight. And they were okay. from like somewhere in Russia, kind of a rut. Anyway, they just smoked cigarettes out front. So here I am. I'm like, Oh my God, what am I doing? But I, the story I, I'll tell it to you anyway, is just that the, my Kind of my first memory, really, of being at UVA. I mean, of course, I was just in the library. I was a major in biology. Um, but uh, I'd be studying. And I always wake, woke up early and drink coffee. And this cab driver downstairs would sleep through his freaking alarm because he was a late-night cab driver. So mm-hmm. The alarm would just be going off, and I'm in there studying. And um, finally, I, you know, I'd go downstairs and cut the power to his room. And one of his, the other <laughs> roommates were like, yo, if it runs more than 10 minutes, just cut the power to his room so it'll cut off. It's fine. He doesn't get mad. I was like, all right. So on and on, we went for a couple of months. And then I remember cutting the power and then it didn't come on like the next day, which I thought was a little weird. And then it didn't come on another day.
0: Oh, no. And then,
1: yeah. Like I came home from school and there was an ambulance in the, the parking lot and the guy had died in his sleep.
2: Oh, oh yeah. my
1: God. Okay. Don't cut this. <laughs> so, oh, fuck. No. Well, what's kind of wild is at that point, I was doing, I was kind of getting into, I, I just had a lot of alone time. And so that's when I was really starting to write what would become kind of Renee Hartfelt, I guess. But with mm-hmm. some more just, you know, just not doing hardcore anymore, but really Kind of thinking more about um, the next step musically. But yeah, meanwhile, I'm sure one of those mornings, maybe he was dead downstairs. Poor guy. It was horrible.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a very Renee heartfelt, like (laughs) song, you know, situation
1: overly dramatic.
2: Yeah. This is one of the things that, and this is what I, I, this is the only reason I gravitated towards that. When I was like, uh, I, I don't remember when it came out, but I was super into, uh, silence of the lambs that movie. And there's a portion of that film where she meets the guy who's like, becomes her mentor at the FBI. And she goes, Oh, I remember you were a guest lecturer at UVA. And I remember like dissecting that film, being like, What is UVA? And then I went and looked it up. So when I was in high school, I was like, I'm going to go to that school. Like, that's where Clarice Starling went to school. I'm fucking going to this. And and then I looked at the SAT scores and I was like, 1470. Fuck, dude, I'm not going to this school. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah there's real, like, people there for sure
2: yeah i was like i was like this is definitely not the this is not the place for me
0: <laughs> <laughs> so was the plan always to go into
1: dentistry or did were did you want to go into a medical field and you just didn't know which one yet i was kind of medical field. i kind of re- i think i wanted to be an er doctor mm-hmm. um but i uh i did do like a I don't even want to call it a walk on. I think I like hung out in in a hospital through some, I can't remember how, but I kind of got the feeling that I don't like being in a hospital so much. Um, and then I had a, just a chance encounter rock climbing. Um, and I shouldn't say chance encounter as a guy who's a local at a rock climbing gym that I worked, who was a dentist and he was a huge mentor in my life in that way. And was like, Hey, you should think about dentistry if you're interested in medicine and sort of, so that was great. I got to go and, uh, work with him on a couple of different days at his office. And, uh, Oddly enough, it's the office I ended up working at years later, um, sort of just by chance, which was great. So, but yeah, Chris Sios is a great guy. And he kind of just, you know, has, like same with the guitar teacher, it, that first encounter sometimes kind of invents it, or at least kind of reinvents it for you. Like, oh, you know, I certainly had an idea what a dentist does. And then he sort of like reframed that. I was like, oh, I had no idea it was like this. And all of a sudden I left, yeah, stopped thinking about medicine and was totally focused on dentistry. Um, and it's essentially the same track from a college standpoint. Cause it's, you do,
2: so you did four years of like pre-med, like bio, like cell histology stuff. And then you moved into,
1: so w- when you go to dental school, it's, it's four it's years, four right? years. That's right. So it's definitely a little different. I mean, the, the two things split and, uh, the first two years are very similar to the first two years at medical school where it's a lot of just, you know, anatomy, um, all the general systems, of the human body. Pathology, all that stuff. And then you though second two years, you start working in the mouth and working with all the different little things that dentists have to do that's totally unique from medicine, complete, almost completely separate in the way we treat the mouth and teeth. I always have an admiration for people that that
2: uh like especially I remember just uh my roommate in college um was a chemistry major and he would go off about two things, P Chem and ochem, And I was like, I don't, what is the difference, dude? And I remember looking through his textbook one night. I, I think I had just come home from like being out. I played lacrosse in college. Like I was out drinking with my friends and I was like, oh, let me look at Mike's textbook. And I was just like, oh no. Like <laughs> this is, this is so unbelievably complicated. And it was just to him, like it, it something clicked. With Ochem, like P chem was just like so bad for him like he was just struggling with it and then when he got into organic chemistry I remember it clicked for him and it was just so awesome to watch him because like people would come over and be like dude were you in today's lecture and he's like yeah he's like can you explain this to me and he would have like three or four people sitting around him and he would literally just sit there and draw diagrams and I'm like holy shit there are so many people at this school doing shit that I, I have literally no concept of like it was it was so eye-opening for me.
1: Yeah, you bring up, I mean, organic chemistry, man, that is the great widow maker, or at least the dreamender, so to speak. So many people, that, that course, right? <laughs> but I'm with you, man. I mean, the, it's, and especially if you're going up at the graduate level in physical chemistry, any chemistries, any of the sciences, it's just unbelievable.
0: Pete, were you always balancing college and whatever band you were in at the time?
1: Yeah, I think so, man. Did Count Me Out tour nationally? We did, actually. We did a couple of U.S. tours, we did Europe. And then that was the strain. I mean, at first it wasn't bad because Garth, Charlie, myself, and Colin were all in college. We were all taking, we were all full-time students or at least Mm -hmm. part-time. And then working, everybody worked as well. And then we'd try to figure out how we were going to do the band. So it usually worked out that like anytime it's spring break, summer break, we always had a tour. Winter break, always had a tour. Yeah. Which was one of those things too where it's like it was awesome and I loved it. But I did sometimes notice, you know, you're your friends are going to Mexico or your friends are going to whatever or just hanging out yeah. <laughs> working and making money and you're, you know, it's not, you know, you're going and grinding it out. And it's not like we were playing these huge venues. We'd be playing a VFW hall or like a a Shoney's in Nebraska.
0: Right. With, you know, Ten people and, <laughs> and you're
1: like, and then you get home and you're right back to school. Right. Right. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I was on the road with a friend's band and yeah, you're in the Midwest. Sometimes there's 10 people there. Sometimes there's five people there. And then you go right home and work. And I don't know. It, it, I liked it at the time. Then again, I was twenty years old. I don't know if I'd like it as much now. But uh,
1: and I think that's a, it's like a young man's game. It's so fun when you're that age. You don't care. You're like yes. living the dream, and you're living your passion, and balancing it all. I felt like I felt definitely in tune with things. But yeah, it was a lot.
0: <laughs> so how does that band come to an end, and how do you start to segue into what would become Renee Hartfield?
1: <laughs> you know, count me out. I mean, that was we were really good friends. So we always, it, we were in Europe having a great time. Although mm-hmm. it was, there was a lot of shows, Nunkritz Germany and like, you know, on Christmas Eve where it was just kind of random and the way the shows, I mean, it was book tight. We had a show every night, but some of the shows you're just like, what is this? Like we're playing a squat and that, you know, the, what the crowd that's there is never like would have nothing to do with our type of our music at all. Um, but there we were. And, and, and we still gave it our all. And you know, the, It was awesome. But I think we could tell towards the end of that tour that Charlie was definitely ready to not be straight edge anymore. Um, And I was changing some of the, maybe he's just ready to kind of move on to his next step in his life. He was big in his design. I think he was looking at other bands. Colin had been offered or had already been playing, I think with American nightmare. So that was, and they were taking off huge. And I think he was drawn like, I, you know, I'm not going to have time to do this. Like I'd like, I think Jason wanted to keep doing it, but realized that he didn't want to do it at the, you know, he didn't want to keep doing it at our level. We wanted to keep growing, write another record or, you know, yeah, don't be a band anymore. So kind of the end of the European tour, although we were all getting along great and as close as we'd ever been, um, it just sort of had a natural ending there. We played our last show in, uh, in Richmond, sort of unannounced.
0: So th- was that a thing? Like everyone was straight edge, and if we decide someone's not going to be straight edge anymore, like the band can't be a band anymore?
1: You know, i, I, I it's, there's some years between that event, so I can't say I'm t- saying this totally accurately. But I yeah. think we definitely were aware that we were a straight edge band. I mean, we felt. I mean, in one ten, few and far between, we were a straight edge band. I, I mean, I love the edge. I was I had my X watch on, so it did feel like you know that was part of who we were and what. Like, although we didn't, I guess we weren't that big lyrically into it. We weren't as straightforward about it. I mean, it was definitely our band. So it felt weird to have Charlie not be Edge. And I want to just put it on Charlie because, I mean, it was Garth. It was, and eventually all of us except Jason. Um, but still at the time, yeah, I think he just, he was ready to move on. It just seemed to not make sense anymore.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, and as you get older, like, now I, I never bought into the straight edge thing. I was always kind of curious about drinking or or you know weed or whatever stuff you do when you're seventeen, eighteen, but you know I would see my straight edge friends one by one like start drinking and stuff, and I I per- I remember being at a bar with my friend who was edge forever till he was like twenty four, and then I saw him order a vodka tonic and my eyes like bulged, but then I was like wait don't make a big deal about it, so I would like go out of my way not to make a big deal about it because like I don't know it's just it's just changing you know.
1: Yeah, it is. But it's weird. And I mean, my, my wife, uh, Katie laughs at me now about it because like the period when I like sold out or lost my edge, I mean, it was emotional for me. Like I didn't even, it was more just like having the drink and like, okay, it's done. There wasn't like this, okay, now I'm just going to rage. Like I almost felt like I had to, yeah, I was putting a a phase of my life to bed. Wow, Uh, That was an awesome one. But
0: yeah. How old were you? 24. Ah, that, that seems to be the age. Yeah, I I be I eventually became straight edge, but by necessity.
3: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Keith Keith lost his partying card. He's yeah. just like he's he Keith. Well, dude, I'm I'm glad I had it. You know, it was a great thing for me. It kept me out of trouble. I imagine seriously. Yeah, I so. had
0: to tap out. I it was it became life or death. But you know what? It's all good. So and it's also good because like I went back and discovered a bunch of straight edge bands and had like a new appreciation for them. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, man, I'm in this. Yeah. And like, I mean, (laughs) honestly,
1: I know it's cliche, but it's like minor threat. That was kind of my like that was my brother and I's first like straight edge band. And like for that, you know, that that crystal first exposure moment we keep talking about it. That really set up for me, though. That's so hardcore. And I almost was surprised when bands weren't straight edge. This is a this is a weird connection
2: and Pete you do have a connection to this with skateboarding but I always thought like when I got into straight edge um I always thought of it as like staying true to something that you really believed in and like something that you loved so like I always thought about that with skateboarding like when I was like straight edge and skateboarding I was like dude I can't believe people quit skateboarding like what the fuck dude like you either skate or you don't like there's dudes at the, like, there's dudes at the park with us that are fucking 45, like, that fucking still skate three times a week. Like, this is either you're in or you're out, and as you get older, you realize, like, oh, there's nuances to this. Like, there's there's all different levels to it, and people's lives take different trajectories, and they, they have different obligations, and you're like, oh, okay, I, I get that. But, yeah, I, I definitely can empathize with that part of, like, when you do something and, like – or, or not do something and you step away from it, you're like, oh shit, this was such a huge part of my life. And now it's, now it's not like, it's, it's definitely, um, it, it, it throws your perspective in, in another way that you're like, that's, that's definitely a different way to look at it. It's, it's hard because like, uh, I skateboarded from the time I was, my mom got me a skateboard when I was six until I was, I don't know, 23 or 24 like I skateboarded every day like I would literally just be like all right well if it's not raining I'm going out and skating I don't care if it's three degrees below zero I'll put on long johns and fucking four jackets like when I fall I won't feel it but uh, I walked away from skateboarding for almost a decade and uh, I've been watching like a bunch of videos in like the last like year or two with my daughter where I was she would be like what is that And I'm like oh it's skateboarding and she's like I want to do that and I'm like I want to do that with you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, let's go. Like, let's get you a board. Let's get you helmets. Like, let's get you pads. Let's, let's fucking suit up and let's, let's go skate. Like, and it's like what Keith was saying with that rediscovering of things that like, you know, Keith, you're probably looking back at things like judge and being like, wow, this is actually fucking, there's something resonating here. Like there's something really cool with that. And, uh, I, I do it now like my daughter like gets up in the morning we get up really early because like we're trying to avoid people like being around people so we go to the skate park at like six o'clock in the morning when the sun comes up and she's like she's up at six and she's literally like jumping up and now she's like are we getting in the car now and I'm like yes we are like, I, like and in my head I'm going like I I need to I need to make coffee. <laughs> like, can you give me like ten minutes? I need to stretch. <laughs> like, this is this is I'm, I'm almost forty at this point. I gotta, we got to we got to chill out for a sec. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, I've been so far disconnected from the skateboard. I think it still has the same qualities that it that of like that you were saying. Like, you yeah, know, I'm dedicated. to This I'm gonna do it every day. And you'd even meet these older guys who are the same way. And it was sort of like this this um true to skateboarding. It's the same with hardcore and maybe with straight edge. The personality types so that maybe get into that. Artists, you know what i mean they can get into hardcore the same way or to straight edge or these certain things it's like a lifestyle i guess
2: it really and it it does and it's like one of those things that like uh it, you see people that especially like that adopt straight edge for like i know a, a handful of people that have you know continued with it on to, into their 30s and 40s and it's like it is definitely a lifestyle choice that's like aesthetically it's like outward like they they put it out there like this is who i am and it's a part of what they identify themselves as so like you see people that have like you know um like the x tattoos on their hands i'm like fuck you're down for life dude right that's fucking crazy like that's right. a really that's deep commitment to this like the same way that like when i see dudes at the skate park that have like thrasher tattoos on their <laughs> neck i'm like fuck you guys are you you are fucking way more down than me because <laughs> like, if i roll my ankle today i'm out for, for until i feel better like, i did get a
0: secret edge tattoo when i uh when i took up the cause you know it, it it's it, not uh, really? an x but it you know that 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 the meaning t- kind of ties into that whole thing Pete, what what was Fair the enough. first drink you had do you remember
1: Oh man, I, I really don't. I want to, it was whatever the, I think it was a beer of whatever was there, but it was, I remember it was on the deck of the house that uh, I lived in with some roommates who had all already broken edge except Casey Smith, who is still straight edge to this day. Shout out to Casey. Um, But, yeah, they had something, and that was it. And I remember I got a text within, like, one minute from a friend saying, give me your (laughs) (laughs) X-Watch. And
0: beer is hard to start with because I I hated beer at first. I had to try, like, a bunch of them until I found one that I liked.
1: I think that added to my uh, misery of, like, what have I done? You know, traded (laughs) it for this. You're, like, (laughs) choking it down.
0: Yeah.
2: This is what I' broke yeah, for? this is right. what everyone's right.
0: making a big deal about Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so count me out's done, edge is broken, so now we're moving into Renee heartfelt yes
1: yeah, and it Colin and I had really talked about doing the band because I mean we we were you know you drive in the van and play CDs and play the music you're into and we were always I mean, we obviously loved Quicksand, so that was an enormous... I mean, the whole band, everyone loves them, but uh, that was definitely what we were rocking all the time. And you have to go back to that time. It was sort of a weird in-between phase. I think uh, World's Fastest Car was always... We were always listening to that. yeah, And um, that was probably, to me, it was like, all right, we're going to do something like that. And Colin, who I just love the way he played drums. And also, you know, you're you're wanting to write songs and sing them. I was certainly anxious about that, kind of like how I'd be perceived, especially not yelling. Yeah. So feeling like I had some, some somebody who was like, all right, I'll play with you, man. That was pretty cool and it was Colin at first. And uh, so we had jammed on a couple of songs and ideas, which I guess would actually, one of them end up being on our like demo. So that started before we even went to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but long short of it, yeah, we broke up and then we started practicing in earnest. And that's when uh, Mike Stankovich came in. We played in Striking Distance in DC. He's a mm-hmm. guitar player. And he lived... At Longfellow, which is Brian McTernan, who recorded Texas is the Reason's first 7-inch. I mean, yes. strike, strike Anywhere, you know him, like all these great yes. bands. He recorded out of that house. He recorded Count Me Out's first record there. Mm-hmm. So somehow he had moved out and moved in a bigger studio. And Mike Stankovich had moved into that house with a bunch of other people and had a recording studio in his basement, which was really basic. But he had decent equipment and he actually knew how to do it for the most part. So somehow he had heard some demos I had. And I think I went up there and because he had a recording set up, he was like, do you want me to record you? I was like, for sure. Cause I was recording stuff out of my house and I drove up to DC and we sort of struck up a friendship and he was like, dude, I'll be in your band. So we started doing this, like we'd play in Richmond and then we drive up to DC and we had Charlie Flexen from Calme out playing bass. So that was the beginning. It was Mike on guitar, me, on guitar vocal, and then uh, Charlie on bass and Colin on drums.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about your influences. Now, Quicksand, Rival Schools, World's Fastest Car, all that stuff. I, I was in a band heavily influenced by Quicksand as well, and oh, sometime cool. around 2008. And I would always be showing the guys like Renee Hartfeld and Memorial, and I'd be like, this, man,
1: this is what we got to <laughs> do. So,
0: so I was no, always pushing sweet. that. So it makes sense that you know, we had the same influences.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's no surprise there in terms of what they were. But, yeah, I was definitely on a heavy, definitely always listening to Sunny Day and Texas The Reason. And uh, trying to think what else was, was really big for us. Um, far.
3: Yes, uh, all that uh, stuff.
1: That's it, man. Yeah, so, you know, so, yeah, it's kind of the, the vibe we were going for. And also, at that time, there wasn't really that vibe, right. I feel like. No, there wasn't. You know? Um, hardcore definitely broke in a direction that I was not really connecting with anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of lost there. And then there was like this whole, uh, man, what is the name? Like, um, panic at the disco, but before them, who was it? Uh, like uh, the strokes
0: or something. Something Well, not even the
1: strokes because we liked the strokes. I remember we got that when they came out that we thought that was cool as hell. But, um, you know, like panic at the disco, that kind of emo sound. Mm hmm we were not feeling that. I hope we're not coming down, but like that was, I, it was like, <laughs> oh man, I, but I digress. We were kind of getting lumped into that sound anyway. So anyway, we wanted to start Renee Hartfeld to sort of like, dude, we want to do like a post hardcore band. Like these people, you know, a lot, of I feel like a lot of bands are maybe saying they were doing a post hardcore sound, but we really but had an not. idea what we wanted. Yeah, but not maybe. So that was at least the, all right, that's the direction I want to go.
0: Yeah. And you know, I feel like today there's not a ton of true post hardcore bands in uh by my definition as well. Like there there's nobody that sounds like Renee Hartfeld or Memorial as far as I know. One uh I guess there's a couple floating around, but I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a lost sound that I hope makes a big resurgence at some point.
1: Yeah, same here. Uh you know, I mean in terms of like certainly Texas and all the those bands were just oh, so good, it was such a great era of music. Whenever I like a band as much
0: as Renee Hartfeld and Memorial, I always figure like they have to like the same exact stuff that I do. And <laughs> and you do. So it makes sense that, you know, I like the end product of what you're doing too. Now, the I got turned on to Renee Hartfelt. You opened for Walking Concert in Philly sometime in like 2004 or something. Yeah, and, I remember that
3: shit.
0: Yeah, at the Kyber. And I and I caught the tail end of the set and I was like I'm like these guys sound a lot like Quicksand. So, you know, the seed was planted and then Someone posted it online like months later and I was like, hey, this is awesome. So, you know, it was just I
1: was just instantly hooked. And you're one of the few people that saw us live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it's really funny when you go to like look up stuff on. I was trying to find uh, like I was like, let me just listen to stuff because I, I, I work in my basement during the day. I, I write math curriculum. So I'm sitting downstairs and I'm like, let me just put music on to listen to it. I'm Like, oh, wait, we're interviewing the dude from Renee Hartfeld. Let me just put stuff on. And it's easy to find some of your stuff on YouTube, but then I was like, "Wait, let me look up Memorial again
0: with YouTube." Holy shit!
2: I know. Well, Yo, yeah, <laughs> chill out, dude. No,
0: this is this is a running <laughs> joke with
2: us. I'm just messing around. He hates that he he hates the fact that I won't buy Spotify that I won't spring for Spotify and that he sends me stuff constantly through Spotify. And then I just go and copy and paste it and then put it into YouTube and then just find it on there. (laughs) Cause I'm, I'm too cheap to pay the $13 a year or whatever it is to fucking have it. So, but I, I tried to, I was like looking up Memorial stuff and it was so great. Like the comments under the videos are like, I got to see these guys live. And then like the, the person under is like, I'm yeah. so jealous. <laughs> I'm like,
3: Fuck.
0: So did Renee how long did Renee Hardfeld play? And did you only play like in the in the Northeast?
1: No, actually, we did a US tour. Oh. Um And it was at, right after we recorded um the LP. Um we did a summer US tour. And was on I that? couldn't it, it was it was a I think honestly, Eric Barr who well, I think I actually call Eric Barr because he was Eric from Wilkes Bar, uh, was our agent. Hilarious. Yeah, right? Um, I mean, there's so much backstory to some of how all that played out, but I would say that that was certainly like a, hey, I'm going to get you on these shows, some mm-hmm. of which will be hardcore shows, some of which were like legitimately, we, we did play a Shonies, <laughs> like some of these just most random shows. But we played a couple of good gigs in California, but it was with a varying group. We, did, we weren't on tour with anyone specifically, at least not the whole time. Um, you know, we played shows of one up. I think we start out with, and they were a cool band. Um, the distance who had like some connection with, with hate breed. And I think they had tried to do a sort of a major label push, which some bands were doing that. But, uh, it was not often we were playing by ourselves or just yeah, one or, one or two stints with one band and then switching it up.
0: I was supposed to see you again. You were playing somewhere in Pennsylvania with my friend's band, but uh, I got too fucked up and I ended up not going to the show. And, <laughs> and all too common story in my life up until about (laughs) three years ago
2: (laughs) we we have to keith we have to listen back to every episode and listen to i was supposed to see you all right episode 19 done i could just check it off because it's like it's just every time like you're like i was supposed to go see this band or i did see this band and yeah the the
0: story is always i was supposed (laughs) to go and got too fucked up or i was there and i
2: don't remember any of it oh man or I had to go meet I had to go meet a guy yeah, yeah, about yeah. a thing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and that, that that happened the one time I saw a memorial in Philly. I I showed up to the show and made a big scene and then I think I left like three songs in. That's a big regret of mine. But more on that later. So <laughs> we're on Renee Hartfelt right now. And now did you have problems I seem to remember some controversy with that label, textbook music, I think it was. Did you have any problems with them or am I imagining that?
1: No, I know that was totally, totally one of the big death knells of the band was, you know, surprise the label. And I think part, partially it was my eagerness to try to get something going because we had, we were on Lime Kiln Records for our little EP, which was really our demo. And they were super cool to us. And they're like, listen, we'll just, you know, we'll put it out. I think we played some some shows of bands on the label. um and They were like, we'll just release it and then, you know, whatever you want to do, which was great. And that's how Textbook heard of us through Sean, this guy, Sean, who was kind of doing AR and he took an interest in our band um, and then pitched us to Andrea, who is at textbook for the LP. And we were just so eager to get an offer. We were so psyched. I mean, I really wanted to be on Revelation Records, but kind of knew that wasn't going to happen. And she was like, listen, I'll put you in the studio We'll do this whole thing. And I mean, it was a huge, you know, the big talk with, I, I mean, hindsight being that I think she was like, just putting a seat out there, I'll, I'll release a record for you, put you in this deep, dark contract and hopefully sell it to a, another label that would want to pick you guys up as you develop. So, right. And it, I remember I actually sent the, the contract to an attorney yeah. and here I am, you know, working at a rap shop in a climbing gym yeah. and the attorney comes <laughs> back to me and he's like, yeah, it's 800 bucks uh for what I've just done and all it all it was is the whole contract had red all over it. All over (laughs) it man. It was like everything that's wrong with it. He's like that'll be eight hundred dollars and we can go from we can go from here. And I really appreciate what he was doing, but you gotta like part of me thought, you know, we I don't really have much to stand on. I don't have a we don't have a huge fan base. We don't have anything we don't have a ton of momentum going for us. And they're willing to put us in the studio and record a record, like an album. Yeah. Uh it's you know, I wanna say yes. (laughs) They're telling me everything I want to hear. So we didn't, I mean, we definitely had discussions about it. Uh, hindsight being 2020, we should have waited. Uh, but yeah, we signed with him. So she immediately put us into the studio with Matt Squire, who we recorded the EP with. Mm-hmm. Because originally we wanted to record with Brian McTurnan. Yeah. Uh, but Brian was like, hey, I have this friend, Matt Squire. He'd be great for you guys. And so he recorded the EP. And then we got the money essentially to do the album from Textbook. And he had just finished recording Panic! at the Disco. Am mm-hmm. I saying that right? Is that that band, Panic! at the Disco? Yeah. All right.
0: Or there, there's an exclamation point. So maybe it's Panic! at the yeah, Disco.
1: exactly. <laughs> I'll never forget rolling up to the, the first sessions for, the, album, the, for the, uh, the LP. And I think I have this right, memory-wise. But he was playing some of the mixes. And he was, he was psyched on it. And I was like, I, I hated it. <laughs> and it was like,
3: it, yeah, I don't,
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, nothing against the guys, it incredibly have. musician, and it, and certainly the musician shit was coming through. Listening to it in the you know, studio speakers, but I was like, oh, I couldn't be further from wanting to sound anything like this, you know.
0: I've never heard them. I imagine a really
2: dancey I like, just shit. Yeah, I gotta look them up now. Hold on a second. Like, I don't know.
0: Panic. Uh, Wait,
2: you're doing this now?
0: We're we're in the we're in the middle of something yeah, here, dude. Dude, hey, fucking post this. <laughs> I <don't know>
2: <laughs> Oh,
1: okay. Yo, that's, they got that, they have a big hit, dude. Yeah, they have a number of them. And now he sings with Taylor Swift.
0: I think he was on, I think he was on Broadway singing for
2: uh, Kinky Boots, too. The guy, cause I, I saw Subway ads for it. He's, let's just put it this way. He's featured vocals on Into the Unknown from Frozen 2. Wow. Yeah, dude. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like that was like, that was really bothering because like you guys were talking about it, like <laughs> this huge band. I'm like, I don't, fucking know who this is like so all let's, right.
0: let's shift back to recording the now classic renee Hartfeld lp death of the ghost now this is now my comeback to time and time again i was just telling tommy today like i could sit here and play the record from beginning to end just in my head like it's i think it's timeless and classic and i think it's right up there with all of the most classic post-hardcore lps what do you think about that pete
1: wow uh that's Thank you. That's, that means, honestly, means a lot to hear that. I mean, because we didn't, uh, I didn't get a a ton of, I mean, we, yeah, I guess we didn't get a lot of feedback on the record, or at least I don't remember. Uh, I think years later, people maybe appreciated it more than in the moment, or at least it felt that way to me. Yeah. So yeah, it feels great to hear that. And I mean, I don't know if I agree with you, but uh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) No, I think it's crazy that you didn't get a lot of feedback.
0: And I, I still now even I connect with it so much as a you know sad sack emo kid who struggled for much of his life and was just unhappy a lot of the time you know it was the perfect tone and all the influences that you mentioned or like all my favorite bands and so I got to ask you a question now I've I've always really loved the song Rush now he, here's what I think it's about and you tell me if I'm in the ballpark. Now, there's a troubled individual, maybe a friend of yours, possible drug problem, and they're, you know, as soon as they get money, it burns the hole right in their pocket, as you say in the song, and, you know, they're just always wandering around in trouble, lost soul, and you feel for this person. Am I close or spot on?
1: I mean, yeah. I I don't think that's a terribly uh, convoluted lyric. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry to me, and it's exactly what you're describing. I mean, I think it was just it's funny because I don't even know... That was one of the songs that almost didn't make the record. Really? Yeah. We actually had a moment where we were going to really cut like four songs off that album. And that was one of them. Uh, the Lighthouse Man, too. <laughs> See, those
0: are, those are all hits. I'm glad you didn't. And I got to ask, are there Renee Hartfeld songs out there somewhere in the ether that did not make the
1: albums? There is one song and we're doing... We're actually going to re-release the record on vinyl through 6131 which is cool and it's coming out i think uh black friday this year so it will have i think someone it'll have one on the, one studio track unreleased i think there was only one and it's just some other random stuff should be cool
0: that is really exciting because i'm i'm just always hungry somehow for more from renee hartfeld or memorial i'm like god i hope they somehow play again or there's a song out there that i don't know like i was even asking people on the on the instagram i was like does anyone know pete like are there any songs we haven't heard yet <laughs> i need more
1: oh man i, I will say i uh, uh tragically I, the classic story i uh had a hard drive with a ton of stuff and sort of renee's next half of their record which some of which became immortal, but all lost so a ton of music disappeared there but probably none of which you'd really want to hear i think you'll you know uh the, the unreleased track that Rene Had was cool. I think mean, there was a reason it was unreleased, but it was still, it's cool. I think a, a fan maybe like you would will appreciate it. But yeah, I'm psyched to hear you say that.
0: Yeah, man, it's, it's just great music. always reminds me of like fall and just, you know, mid-twenties, getting into trouble, figuring shit out. You know, it's just,
1: it's just like the soundtrack for me. Man, that's awesome that you connect that way to it because it really does come from that place, like it, everything you're just describing.
0: Yeah, and that's why, that's why I love to know like, what's going on behind these records because, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, I'm like, if I connect this much with it, it has to be touching on that. So that's why I like to hear like what went into the record or what were the influences. And oftentimes, you know, the, the connections are there. It's the same influences. It's the same feelings. And so it makes sense that I'm, that I connect that much with
2: it. Well, I was just going to say, Pete, are you having the uh, tropical storm coming through you? Yeah, actually it's raining right now, man.
1: Yeah. Ah. Yeah.
2: So it's supposed to be in Philadelphia tomorrow morning around 5 a.m. And I actually I mentioned it to Keith on the like we're starting this. I was like, uh, I hope he's not having any problems. My my stepsister lives in
1: Virginia Beach. That would make sense right now that that could be going on. It's probably my Internet. I texted her and I was like, how is it? And she's like, it's a mess down here. She's like, we
2: took everything in. She's like, we "We took everything in from outside, like all the garbage cans, all the patio furniture, like everything's locked up. They said the wind's going to be really bad. And
1: I was like, oh, I hope this does not affect Pete tonight. Well, it's crazy if it did, because honestly, our first show, Renee Hart's first show was, I think it was September 21st, 2003, right two days, three days after Hurricane Isabel. Well, that came through and just wrecked Richmond. There was no power. I thought the show was going to be canceled and they played, we had the show, they ran a generator. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh and like a really limited setup. And we played, It's pretty wild. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad
0: I got to see the band once. I remember a very tiny bit of it, which is better than none, but you know, it was a very long time ago. <laughs> so, so why
1: did the band end? I think, I mean, one thing was, so we've, we started we did the LP, we went on tour, we did a summer tour right after that LP. And of course I you know our main stomping ground was the northeast, playing like Philly, Wilkes-Bar. Uh we played some New York shows, Connecticut, Maryland, stuff like that. Um but we went on this US tour right after recording. I do think honestly like the early mixes I I don't know if the band was fully coming around to it yet like as a whole. I think some of the songs they were I mean I think that they were psyched on it, but From my memory, there was some hesitation about the whole album as a whole, like, like those songs, like some of the not so heavy songs, like what direction are we going? What is this? Um, And then we're playing this tour and we had a booking agent. Finally, we were psyched about, uh, but it was just booking us on shows that really weren't getting us anywhere. I mean, we're getting experience, but we certainly weren't playing to a crowd that was really going to hear our sound, you know? Mm -hmm. So morale was low, long short of it. And then we, we came back, played some more shows, and then I had gotten into dental school. It was sort of like, hey, we could either do this part-time like we'd been doing it, or we do kind of summers and breaks. Um, but the band was not hearing that. They wanted to do something full-time. So it was sort of like, man, we just can't do this if we're going to do it part-time. On top of that, we had the issue with uh, uh, Textbook. She had just sort of lost her mind. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to speak... For- ill poorly about her but i just from a standpoint of our band she sort of promised the world we were skeptical to begin with with that we kind of knew that wasn't going to play out like she said it was mm-hmm. but all of a sudden she's like you know at the time hey we're on, we're on tour we're gonna i'm gonna make sure we get your your record in this in at least one or two stores in the towns you're playing because at the time we were right at that transition where that mattered and um sure enough she never did so we were always playing towns where no one even knew anything about us or had never heard of us we didn't really have any internet presence. We were just kind of spinning our wheels. And then at the same time, like Revelation Records was somewhat like, hey, we'd be interested maybe in working with you guys. And we talked to Andrea about this and she was like, no, you know, only if they you know buy out the full contract and all this ridiculousness that was never going to happen.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, so it just started being like, okay, you, you can't go anywhere. I'm not going to give you any more money. Or I'm not going to promote you at all. Um, so we were dead in the water, man. You just like, we locked couldn't. in. Ugh. Ugh. We were locked in. So that plus dental school, I think, was it. And I think we played, I don't remember when I, we played our last show. Um, I think it was like around February of 06. Did
0: you have a lot of feelings to process because of that? Like, I mean, I can, me at that age,
1: I would have been like, fuck,
0: man, we could have been, maybe been on Revelation. <laughs> this didn't happen and that didn't happen. And goddamn, did you go through any of that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, believe me, man. I mean, I had put, if nothing else, Renee Hartfelt was a, uh, an exercise in absolute persistence. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't come out of the hardcore band, like a great singer or a great like a particularly great guitarist or anything. I just wanted to do this sound so bad. I wanted to be in a band so bad and play the music and write these lyrics that I was doing. I just was determined. So yeah, you know what, man, I was beyond frustrated. Um, Also we had been really, you know, the grind of that U S tour, it was still fun, but it was just sort of <laughs> dream crushing and yeah. like, wow, this is going to be a long road. And it seems like we don't have any of the connections. And at at that same time, like Mike Stankovich, who had started the band with us, had gone off. He quit the band to go play. um, I think it was like the last of the famous, all these Morrissey references, right? Um, <laughs> but uh anyway, it was supposed to be like an all-star band I, with some members of other bigger bands and it seemed like all around us, people like were taking off American nightmare, um, all these different bands. And it seemed like they always had some sort of edge. They knew someone yada, yada. And right. it just seemed like we were in the worst position ever and it just was falling flat. So yeah, we sort of never played a last show or really that official about it. I think probably cause I was so despondent about it. I didn't really want to totally kill it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, but, uh, yeah i was pretty i was pretty broken up about it man
3: yeah uh,
0: revelation would have been the perfect fit so it's it's unfortunate that didn't happen i mean that that's it when i i mean you've got that revelation sound, and you know it's all i think it's all about perspective, pete because like you know you said like you weren't sure about your voice or the band and i I literally used to show people like your records and be like i wanna sing like this. I want to write <laughs> songs like this, and I can't do it.
2: Like, no, so it's all
0: about
1: perspective. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. So how does Memorial start up? So towards the end of Renee Hartfelt, I had joined this band called The Silent Type. Mm-hmm. And they were a Richmond band. And this guy Nathan, Nathan Altice fronted that band. This guy Nick Wurz played guitar for them, and they were really good musicians and wrote this super cool sonic, totally different sound, quiet. Some of it was like uh, acoustic um, totally different vibe. Anyway, they—they, they, I was really good friends with their drummer, who originally sang for Balance, the first band I was in that got me into Count Me Out. Mm-hmm. He now played drums for this band, Silent Type, and um, he moved in next door to this kind of apartment I was living with, with a bunch of friends of mine. So we were kind of in the salad days. It was like oh, what oh five oh six, and um, I was starting starting dental school, and then I joined the silence Type and jared was the drummer and all of a sudden jared and i hit it off and we were starting to rehearse together and i still had some renee Hartfelt ideas and like still had that vibe that i wanted to go for um and all of a sudden we had started a band and that was memorial and that must have been i think 08
0: yeah yeah and that's it just seemed like a logical progression it's like the more refined version of renee Hartfelt. the sound wasn't completely different but it
1: was trying out some new things and and of course, it's excellent. Well, thank you. It was cool. And we met this guy, Chris Dowen. Oh, I shouldn't say met. We knew him, but I met, I really got to know Chris through the silent type and sort of that circle of friends and musicians. And he's another incredible musician and had really good abilities recording and at equipment. And I also worked at a studio. So all of a sudden we had a, a way in to get something recorded and we could go in and work with him. And he, you know, he had a great musical sense, so... He could sort of produce us too, like get us through the session mm-hmm. and um that really worked out well and he ended up recording the first split seven inch which again we had a seven inch to kind of t- almost like the demo for the van and we we're like all right this is cool we want to do another one and we'll record you know release it as two separate seven inches because we thought the ep was just more digestible and it'd be easier to find somebody willing to do the ep and yeah. again i had been talking with revelation records and they were like yeah we'd be into it and of course, Andrea from textbook caught wind of it. She was like, "Hell no, you can't oh, do man. it." She came back from the dead. Believe me, man, it was horrible. So, even though you're under luck. a
0: new band name,
1: even though it's under a new band name, oh, <sighs> God. So, so and I mean, again, what are you fighting over? Like the sale of like you know 100 records. Like anyway, it was, but Revelation didn't want to touch it, so they said, "Never mind." Wow. So we ended up having to release it on a smaller label that was like, yeah, we'll do it. And we released it as one record.
0: Yeah. And that's the creative process Berlin. That's right. Yeah, And I, I was, I loved it right away because the first song sounds like phaser. Were were you influenced by that?
1: Yeah. I mean, to some, yeah. I mean, it's hard to, even at that point, it was weird because I still wanted that sound. I don't know what I was going, what we were going for as a band, but, um, and, I mean, embarrassingly, I don't even have a copy of that record. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like through the moves, you know, I had a couple moves, and it's just a weird time, you know, in your 20s in your life. And I, I totally tend to hold on to stuff like that, but managed to not have any of it. So um, some of this is off bad memory here.
0: I moved four times in a year span, like a couple years ago. And so I, I basically have nothing but amplifiers and a television <laughs> and a PlayStation 4 now. <laughs>
2: Of stuff that matters, right? We've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's like one of those things. Like, I'm the worst person to start an Instagram account with, with like where we're supposed to be posting memories from back then because I literally, like, every three to five years just jettison everything. I'm like, fuck this, let's throw this, I, I throw <laughs> everything out. And it, it's now like gotten to the point where like, um, <laughs> a friend dropped off a ton of old show flyers, and I'm like, okay take care of these, put them in order, make sure I have them in the right place, make sure they're safe, like, make sure I'm taking, like, because Keith texted me the other day and was like, hey, we need stuff for uh, this one post, and I was like, oh, I have those in a safe place in my, <laughs> those are all filed in my basement, they're ready to go, like, whereas, like, before, everything I had was just, like, fucking, th- I-, I was like, I don't want those. what the fuck are- what am I going to do with a cave-in flyer from 99, like, I just threw it out, like,
0: one man's trash is another man's treasure. You know, I'm surprised. I'm surprised I held on to the number of flyers and ticket stubs and stuff that I did because you know I'm like, wow, this this stuff must be important to me.
2: Keith, I remember sleeping you one night. I went uh, out in the city with you and Doug, and I slept in your bed because you're like, I'm not going to bed. I was like, all right, well, can, <laughs> you, can I can I use your can I use your bed? You're like, yeah, of course. And I went and slept in your room. And I remember going to bed in your room, and you had. Um, Oh, God, what what did you you have a you had a flyer on your wall that was like ink and dagger and somebody else and I was like holy shit like that yeah. I remember like I I've seen that before I was like that's fucking insane like he kept that from ten years ago and that was fifteen years ago <laughs> was like, Jesus Christ it was a flyer for their last show
0: ever that never actually happened I oh. think they I think they advertised more than one like last show ever oh uh, but <laughs> I I
2: just remember before I turned the lights out I was like. Oh shit, he kept that. That was really nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so m- Memorial. Now yes, another band I come I come back to all the time. I got to tell you Pete, I'm I'm really going to prop you up here during this discussion, but beyond the beyonds. Now that is just one of the best songs ever. It's a song I come back to all the time and I just again, lyrically I always really connect with it and the whole uh even if I told you everything, it wouldn't be half as cool. That's like that's, oh. like, that's like a little slogan for me.
1: <laughs> cool, man. That, that means a lot. I, I appreciate, uh, yeah, I remember writing that song and I, I love that song a lot too. And I'm glad you connected with it, man. That's cool.
2: Yeah. It's like, it's like the perfect blend of like chill and then it picks up a little bit. And I, I, on that record, I, I love, and I don't know, like, I guess I, I was playing it the other day and my daughter heard it and she was like, I like that guy's voice, uh, Beneath. Cause it has that like acoustic intro. Yes. Yeah. She was she was like, that's a really nice sound. I like that. And I was like, all right, well there's another song to learn. <laughs> at least it's not Disney this time. <laughs> like, at least that's it's something, cool. something a little bit more in my wheelhouse. This would be great.
0: <laughs> oh, we're, we're getting real nerdy, but what, what are the tunings? Because I've, I've tried to learn like some of the songs before and I, I like, is it in B? Is it in D? I can't tell.
1: Oh no, it's just, it's just flat at a half step. And then you'll see how simple everything is. And we often do drop D. We often do drop D, but we'll right. We tune to D sharp or so. Like uh, beneath is in.
2: So that's E. Just it's just E flat, right?
1: Right. Exactly. Okay. Cool. All right. No, because every I'm everything down a half half step, and you'll be able to play along with all of it with basic, <laughs> very simple bar chords and all that stuff. I was gonna say. I, I think I figured out the first part, and I was like, "Oh, all right, I got this." Like, it's actually yeah. really
2: funny. It's uh, it's some of the same chords. I can't remember the name of the band, but they had like a. Uh, it was like they had like a hit in like the early '90s, and I don't remember the name of the band, but it's the same chords they use for one of their songs. And I was like, "Wait a minute! I think they just oh used- yeah, <laughs>
0: Co- Collective Soul. It's collective Soul. It's the fucking thing, dude. It's it exactly. is. You're Thank right. you.
1: In fact, that's awesome because we used to, we used to play that song. We used to play that when we'd be like rehearsing. So that's awesome. <laughs>
2: oh my god! So wait, Pete, I'm right? Like yes, yeah. this- yes.
0: No, Tommy, I'm glad you mentioned this because now that that song i wrote that song before i years before (laughs) i ever heard the memorial song it was the same song and i loved it i was like this is awesome and i would go to parties and play it and someone's like that's fucking collective soul and then i got and then i got bummed out and stopped playing it and then i heard the same song on the memorial record and i was like motherfucker i shouldn't have listened to people it's awesome
2: the worst part is, is like it's the same chords to a Dave Matthews song too. There's yeah. a Dave, there's a Dave Matthews band song that's that's able to play like that. I don't, I don't know the name of it, but like I remember playing it one. I, I played that Collective Soul song one time, and somebody's like, "Yeah, it's the same chords for uh, you know, whatever Dave Matthews band song that is."
1: Anytime you're walking up the major scale, right, you're gonna find, you're gonna run into a couple of songs.
2: But it's just it, it's such a great song, and there's there's a lyric in there, and I, it, I can't believe it escapes me right now, but it's like spend time when you can because when this all ends there'll be nothing and there'll be no one left to blame and i'm like fuck man that resonates so hard like it's there there's this it's it's the way because it it transitions from like the acoustic part into the part where like there's a a slight distortion on the guitars to part where it's like super heavy and it's just that transition from the acoustic to that part and it's just your vocals it's just it's fucking haunting
1: man Oh man, I'm glad you did that. I have to give a lot of credit to, to, uh, to Chris Dallin who recorded that. And I remember that session because we, you know, I had the song and I was playing it acoustic for the band. We kind of recorded it acoustic. And then we were, I mean, we had rehearsed a lot of different parts with it, um, but trying to get it to work, you know, recorded, that's the art of it. Right. And he sort of figured out how to, what the, the sound had to be. Um, So I'm glad that connected man, because that was weird. In a lot of ways, the lyrics from the first, because that was Berlin, um, was sort of informed by uh, one of the last songs on uh, "Death Death of the Ghost," in that I was kind of like trying to write from a third person, like not necessarily about myself, yeah, um, but trying to look at like yeah motif or something like that. And I was just really inspired by the Korean War, not in like good way, but I think that was part of why we called ourselves Memorial. And sort of seeing what was happening with, you know, just doing the same thing as America does. We go and, you know, start some foreign war and then a bunch of young men die, you know, not to get heavy on that. But I think that was sort of where that song was going from.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, time and time again, like the lyrics and just everything really touched me. And that's why I go back to the music all the time. And getting heavy is okay because we do that a lot on this show. We really get it. We really get into the shit.
2: It's funny. I was just going to say, I didn't want to get super heavy with this, but that was one of the things that uh, predicated my father's death was his involvement in Vietnam was he got pancreatic cancer from being exposed to Agent Orange. Oh, brutal. You know, like he was a a 21 year old kid sent to, you know, 12,000 miles away to a country he's basically had no exposure to and to be like, yeah, we're going to make sure there's democracy here. And it's like, Wait what? Yeah, <laughs> I, <can't>. yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. That's what it was from. Yeah, no, it's actually uh, without getting into like really like crazy details about it. But um, uh, my mother was part of a class action lawsuit that uh, sued uh, not only the United States government but the chemical manufacturer. And, oh, good. Uh, yeah. So did she my, get some cash from that? She did get a monthly payout until I turned eighteen. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, they actually did like a whole it's a it's a weird uh death calculus that they do. Um they figured out that because my father had uh before he passed away, my father had uh was four credits away from finishing his PhD oh. and he was in the middle of it like getting his doctoral stuff to- together and so they do a uh, lifetime earning potential it's mm. so awful to go through these documents it's one of these things that like my mom was like hey i i have all this stuff left over from when your father was alive do you want to look at it and then of course like me being like the dork that i am i sat down and like started poring over it and then the next thing you know i'm like reading this stuff going like holy shit like this is my life in a nutshell like this is literally paperwork that documents all this but yeah they do a lifetime earning potential and essentially they break it down into monthly payments yeah, it's scary, dude. It's it's just – and it's it's the same thing that like I, I was scrolling through Instagram the other day and a thing came up that said, you know, uh, were you part of the US military? Do you have hearing damage from 3M because they didn't have uh, I guess the proper hearing protection or they were told it was proper hearing protection and now there's people that have uh, like tinnitus and all these different – um inner ear problems because of hearing damage they were exposed to in afghanistan and iraq and it's like fuck dude like 18 year old fucking kids like going over to a foreign country and, and you have lifetime of you know problems that go along with it it's just it's 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 devastating
0: so memorial now i did catch them live once but it was in 2008 i think at a house show in south philly but it was like my birthday weekend. So I drank half a bottle of vodka before I even got there. I was like a, the Tasmanian devil at that place. And then I, <laughs> I, I, like, you know, roared out of there, like, I don't know, during your second song. And it's a big regret of mine.
1: I'll just say, I, I do remember playing Philly. And I think I actually remember playing a, a, a basement show. That was it. Yeah. But
0: Did Memorial play out a lot? I feel like you guys weren't together incredibly long.
1: No, we really weren't. I mean, only like two years two or three years so and we didn't we didn't play a ton i couldn't even tell you how many times we did play we probably only did half dozen kind of weekend jaunts northeast that's it
0: and i have to ask besides the great lakes is there any uh hidden memorial material out there waiting to
1: be unearthed you know maybe i'd reached out to chris allen who has a lot of the rough mixes and recordings and i've Cause I don't remember, but I'm sure that there are probably at least one or two tracks that were recorded and not released and not, you know, mixed or, but to get those would be challenging. Cause I mean, you no, know, he's, he's got a full life now and I, it's, it's a lot to think, all right, look, you know, pull up this, what, eight, seven or eight year old, no longer than that, uh, 12 year old recording. I mean, with, uh, I don't even know how I'd get it into a session. And so long short of his, maybe, maybe
0: <laughs> just tell him Keith from the Northeast scene really wants to hear it.
1: I got this one guy. I got this one guy. <laughs> Remember, uh,
2: Keith. Ah. You, I actually just did it. I just said, "Member, uh, Keith." Do you, uh, that guy that's a big fan of the show, um, Ed, the the dude, the BMX guy. Yeah, Ed, he 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 texted Keith and was like hey, I saw you guys posted something about a local band that we uh, used to play a lot with called Heinous Anus, and he's like, does anybody have this the, the five-song EP? And I was like, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I had it on an old hard drive at my house. It took me like three hours to get it off there, but like, I was like, oh, dude, if somebody wants this stuff and I have it, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm tr- I'll make an effort at least to try to get it out there.
0: Yeah, we're like, you know, we're like the centerpiece for Bucks County Hardcore and demos and, you know, like everything's moving through us now. A couple
2: people requested that demo, actually, so... Is that what it was? I'm sorry. I, yeah. I just, I really just remember Ed asking for it and being like, uh, maybe.
0: No, one <laughs> yeah. other one other person asked for it, too. So, how, how does Memorial come to an end, Pete?
1: So, I, I guess we had gone... We had done that, that album had been released. We played some shows and then I was still writing music, but I was getting kind of deeper and deeper into this new career of dentistry and still in school and also wanting to move to the West Coast. So that was like goal number one. And I knew in order to get out there, dentistry being sort of the kind of closet industry, it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, you know, someone sort of thing. It's still really small, intimate thing. I knew I had to like do a program or residency or something to get to know some dentists out if I was going to actually be a dentist. So I applied to to do a residency program at UCLA. Um, and we were, this was before we even cut, um, Mile High City, but I actually remember I was recording vocals and it was only two blocks from my apartment. Um, so I could walk you know, after school, go to my apartment, and then that evening go over to the studio and record. And we only did this for like a week or two, but um, I got my acceptance letter and we hadn't even finished a record yet. So I kind of knew, I was like, oh, this, this is going to be tough. Now, it was only, you know, I knew maybe it wouldn't be for forever, although part of me wished, was hoping it was going to be. So it was just a tough situation to be in, but I really loved the songs. I loved the band. I wanted to keep doing it, but I kind of was on this path. So, basically, when I left, because uh, I, I want to say we recorded that in May, I, I, I'm not certain. And then I, I graduated, and then left that August uh, to go out to LA, and that was it. Just by sheer the, the distance, you know.
0: Yeah, and I, I remember when you guys released the opener as like a preview for the EP, and I was obsessed with that song. Like I was like, this is the best song ever it became synonymous with me. Like I would get in someone's car and they would just put it on and I'd be like, yeah, that's right.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you dug that song. Cause we were proud of that song. I love that song too. I mean, um, and I felt like we had sort of that with that record sort of found our sound.
0: Yes. I feel like both Renee Hartfeld and Memorial were like short lived. It's just one of those bands where I'm like, God, like more people really need to know about these guys. And I'm like, Hungry for more in the same way that like back in the day, Texas is the reason only had like the EP and the LP and it be- like it became this legend. You know what I mean? There was like no more music, no more anything. And I'm like, no, there, there just needs to be more.
1: Right. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I think there was some definitely some impatience there. Yeah. Uh, and with the stress of school too, that was the same with René Hartfelt is that I can't deny that that put a lot of pressure self-imposed to some extent. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, we've got to do something to sort of convince me to walk away from this other thing that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Um, you know, to really take it because as we all know, it's a, it's a huge gamble to just put everything on the line to be in a band. Yes. Um, and, and also, as you know, like it, it come home and work two jobs and do all this stuff to actually make ends meet. It's just a lot of emotional and physical effort, which is awesome and worth every moment. But yeah, at a certain point, I was what, 20, almost 29, I guess, 29. I was like, all right, I got to do this thing. Right. So
0: did you ever think like, maybe I'll just try to do music full time?
1: Yeah, for sure. when I graduated from college, I got out and I was, I wanted to really, that's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to see another library. I was over it. Mm -hmm. So certainly, and then going out on tour, and I mean, I'd done it with Count Me Out and seeing sort of that really shoestring budget sleeping right in the van on couches which most bands do that's how you do it yeah. um and i liked it then and then with renee sort of started seeing some of the grind of it of like wow here we are again doing the same thing and i think if the shows had been somewhat better i probably would have been more committed but mm-hmm. we just were not having I, mean, I mean we had some good gigs for sure but overall it was it was tough i mean there wasn't a lot of positive feedback on the band you know
0: yeah, which seems crazy to me because, like, it's everything I wanted in a band. It's like the band I imagined that I wanted to be in. And, you know, that that's something I struggled with a lot. Like, I wanted to do music full-time, but every band I ended up in was, like, just no one cared, or it, it wasn't the right sound, or I wasn't totally crazy about it, or it ended. Like, there was always a problem. I never got to the point where, like, we would get signed or go on tour, so... I almost never had to make that decision. I wanted to do it full-time, but it just it just kind of never worked out. Plus, because of my upbringing, like, I'm kind of obsessed with having security, and, you know, like I, I don't want any credit card debt. I, don't,
1: I have to know that I'm going to be able to afford things. You know what I mean? I need like:, oh, Keith, I come from the same place, man. Believe me. I come from the same place of like, I'm not trying to, yeah run up credit. And, and a lot of people in bands did that. And that seemed to me like insanity. I did
0: that too. I was like tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt from just being a, a complete degenerate. But that, that's <laughs> that's all been handled. I've I've got a handle on things now, which I'm happy about. And, you know, I, I thought about it a lot when I turned 30. And I don't know, even now sometimes, because I have friends like you know, they, they're in multiple bands, they tour, they tour Europe, like they all work at a bar together. It just seems really awesome. Like they kind of just do whatever they want. And they, you know, they kind of call their own shots. And I'm like, that That seems like a pretty fucking fun life.
1: Indeed. I mean, certainly that side of it. But also, I'm sure, as you know, having played shows and stuff that there is that like you get that one hour moment of what you want, which is to play and connect and share the art and all that, and the rest of it is a grind. And especially when you're a band coming up, you know, I mean, yeah, you're hanging out with your friends and all that stuff is good. But you know, once you're you've kind of done a couple of tours of that, and that's maybe lost some of the novelty. It's now all right. What am I doing all day here in this town? And I have no money.
3: Yeah. So you're yeah. right. Going to
1: read this book or just sit around or get in a fight with my bandmate because we're bored. Yeah. Right. And then. You know, so i it was good to at least see that aspect of it, and I think it's well balanced if you're the band is making strides it's making progress right you're connecting more people, you're growing yes you know you're and all of a sudden yeah, you're still feeling creative, and that was still there, but I think that overall it was just it was hard man i was having I was having trouble on the road with yeah just feeling like man, no one is hearing what we're doing, no one cares we're playing a show and no one's paying attention. I find that crazy, but
0: yeah, that's the thing. It's like you said, it's a young man's game. If I was like 20 years old, I might consider it now, but I mean, I'm 38 now. Uh, I've got a girlfriend who's got a kid. We're talking about moving in together. We've got two cat children. I mean, that's it. I'm happy.
1: That's good living too, man. And, and that's a great thing is it? you know, there's phases, right? Yeah. Um, and I think also had I maybe been where it was like, hey, we're just going to continue to do this for fun, I think we would have because we were still enjoying it to that level. But I think the pressure of wanting to make it, Hey, I want to do this as a career. Like, how can we get on a bigger label? How can we figure out? Because we were also transitioning into social media and MySpace and yeah. how to promote. And we got caught in a couple of those where it would be like, this band was huge online. Like they had all these, I don't even know what it was back then. It wasn't likes, but there was some evidence that this band has lots of watches or views or fans. Yeah, And we're going to play a show with them and you guys are going to open for them. And we're like, excellent. You know, we go, and it was like internet hype. There'd be like 15 people there. We drove (laughs) eight hours, you know, and it's, uh, and it it was kind of watching that sort of develop where it used to be, you know, the, the demo tape or demo CD. And it was a bit more organic in that way. And I think we were a bit like, whoa, we don't even know how to do this. Like how to promote ourselves in this new environment. It was changing so quick. Right. Um, all those things kind of factored into it, right?
0: So you're you're out in LA. you're in dentistry school there, right?
1: Well, I was in Venice Beach, and um, I'm, I've always loved surfing. So the goal was sort of to arrive in Venice Beach, really focus on the program and learning the trade and doing dentistry, the art of it, um, a bit like the aesthetics and some of the implant dentistry and some of this other stuff, sedation. So I additional skills that I needed. So I was definitely hyper focused on that. But I was also at that point of um, I'd been doing bands as my main hobby, main expenditure, main time suck, so to speak, since I was 17. Like, really, with Count Me Out. And even before that with The Nuns, I mean, it was still like all I cared about. I stopped skateboarding. I just wanted to play music. Mm -hmm. So I think I reached a point where I kind of wanted something different. I wanted to just not be in a band. (laughs) Yeah. Which sounds weird. But I wanted so I, I really just played a lot of music by myself um and uh went surfing with my with Kong, who actually name in one of the songs on the record. Oh, um nice. yeah, you may recognize, but uh he was my still my good friend to this day. But um he was already living out there with his girlfriend and now wife, and mm-hmm. they're actually expecting their second child. But they were so he kind of received me in Virginia Beach and we went surfing. Uh our buddy Tim was also out there who who we grew up with in Richmond. So I kind of it was almost like instant switch, new lifestyle, no music. Yeah, right. Um, I got obsessed with flying RC helicopters.
0: <laughs> How did it feel like
1: not playing in bands anymore? Were you happy? Did you miss it? You know, I I had enough new experiences happening when I was out there. I didn't. I was certainly writing a ton of music and playing a lot of guitar, but none yeah. of it was sticking. I was sort of just like ah, I don't know what I'm doing with this. I'm just kind of expressing myself, and then leaving it. I'm not even trying to finish a song or have that whole issue of trying to write a, write a, a song that you're going to now bring to the band. Right. Which has always been my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing I did is I played a comedy club <laughs> with these two, a girl and a guy that I had known through a friend of a friend somehow. And they're like, Hey, we need a guitar player for this skit. Mm-hmm. So they did some cheesy rap and they needed <laughs> me to like play some sort of beat rhythm. And that's all the only time I performed the whole time I was out there and really, since, that's it. I have not played live since uh uh Memorial broke up.
2: You know what, though? I think that there's something to be said for that kind of idea of, like, looking at the past as the past and just leaving it for what it is. And I think, like, when you said you found, like, new interests, right? Like, so you found, like, RC helicopters and surfing. And, like, it, when you see those types of things as a way to occupy your time and a way to make you happy. Like that's, I I think the thing is, is that a lot of times we look at things and look at it as like, Oh, we have to get something from this. Like there has to be some type of end product to some type of result, something we can show to other people. And it's like, just be in the process. Just be okay with having fun with what you're doing or learning something new. Like it's, especially if it's something you enjoy, like, there's nothing better than getting new in, like getting into something that's new and sucking at it, and then being like, oh, I can see like a little bit, like some success from this, or like I see a little bit of like mastery of whatever concept of it is. Like it, it's just, it's very fun. Like I, I can totally empathize with that. Like where I look at like, like Keith and I bring this up fairly often on the podcast of like putting our guitar down for months at a time. Like, all right, I just, I'm not playing guitar now.
0: Yeah, I think I'm done with music. Uh, well, you know what? I say that now, but uh, yeah, I, I feel you, Pete, on that, like, and the developing new interests. Like, I always had interests, but I was just always too afraid or too fucked up to pursue them. Like, you know, my my life got very small, and I completely isolated from everyone, and I was just getting messed up and not leaving the house, and I got through that, and thankfully I survived. So then I had all this energy and this motivation to do things I wanted to do. I'm like, I've always wanted to front a band. I want it to sound like this. I'm going to do that. And I was like, this is going to be what I am. The band's going to be huge. I'm going to be a band guy now. And I got to put out the record, but the band quickly dissolved. And I was like, fuck, what, what am I going to do? But at the same time, I was taking an acting class. So then the acting class is going to do a production and I get the lead. And that was my life for a year. And then, you know, Tommy and I put together the instagram account and i'm like yo if we get to a thousand followers we're gonna do a podcast and i had i didn't even consider ever doing a podcast but like you know i heard some other podcast and i'm like fuck if those guys can do it we can do it and now it's all come full circle because like in my youth i was always like oh wrong band wrong time you know why aren't i in renee Hartfelt? why why aren't i playing with renee Hartfelt? why this why that and now we get to do this thing And talk to all the artists we love, and it's just—it's all full circle, and I just think it's really cool.
1: That is cool, man. I mean, it's a great way to realize it exactly all—all on on its own time. Sometimes, sometimes you really try to force it. You just want it now, or want. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I learned that somewhat from Renee.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it I used to just get so hung up on the idea, like, no, like, my life has to be this, rather than looking at, like, what it is, and, you know, I, now I can go all the way back to my youth, I'm like, shit, when I was 10 years old, like, I, I had, like, four different talk shows I would record by myself, like, on cassette tapes, you know, as different characters, and I'm like, oh, like, I'm just going back to what I was doing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Actually, i I've mentioned the RC helicopters is that I, I grew when I was in Chicago and we discovered skateboarding through this shop called Tom Thumb, it was a half hobby shop that did plastic models, RC planes and all that stuff. And it was half skate shop. And they were one of the hugest distributors for uh, our biggest distributors for skateboards in the Midwest. So everything was coming through there. Um, but long short of it is that I was we we're building plastic models, building RC cars when we were kids. And that's and then we got introduced to skateboarding. So it was weird that later on, sort of after doing this band thing, yeah, I got back into flight and then actually subsequently got my pilot's license um, as sort of like an old passion that i had hung up. Yeah, so taking out the music and the time and maybe emotional energy opened up some other paths, although I still miss it. I mean, for sure. Yeah, I would
0: I I really like the EP my band put out 2 years ago and I we never got to play a show cuz the band kind of fell apart, but I mostly wrote everything, so I would like to do it at some point. Uh but just, you know, no one can do anything right now, so I'm not really worried too worried about it.
1: But I mean, at least you did it, right? I mean, you wrote the songs and you recorded them and and in the end of the day, I mean, it really it's again cliché, but you know, you're making the art, you're doing the thing. I think that's what matters.
0: So how did you end up back in Virginia?
1: Well, I, I, originally the grand plan as it goes, right. I was going to work somewhere in California, but, uh, sort of getting a feel. And as I graduated, was about to leave the, uh, kind of graduate from the program. I was looking at, I was interviewing at jobs and I just wasn't liking what I was finding from a standpoint. It just was going to be a hour and a half commute each way. Cause I didn't want to live close to the beach. I don't want to move in like the inland empire or whatever, but mm-hmm. realizing that probably I was going to have to do something like that where I was going to really have to grind it out for another five years, you know, to maybe buy into a practice and really commit myself to the West coast. And it's awesome, but so expensive. And then as a dentist, you got to buy into the business. So all of a sudden now I got a bank loan. So I can't just like cut out and leave, you know, um, or I could do the tenants thing, which would not really build on my ability as a dentist, but I'd have a job, but I also have my student loans. So long short of it, I made the pragmatic decision to come back home where I knew someone and I was really fortunate to know a dentist here in Richmond who worked at a practice and I knew the practice and I knew it would be good. And I thought, man, this is the right move. This may not be romantically what I want to do right now, but, um, this is the right move for being a dentist. And so sure enough, packed up uh, that uh, literally 13 months after moving out and drove back to Richmond Wow! and moved back in with my mom <laughs> into oh. her attic. Um, How was that? Yes. Sobering, humbling, <laughs> <laughs> especially oh. after a year in LA, man. Oh um, yeah. So, but it was good. And I uh, immediately just got to work on trying to build my career. And then, Bam. It's just, you know, five years goes by seven years, eight years, 10 years. And, um, it's amazing how, how quick the time has gone now. And I'm still in touch with some of the guys from Memorial. Um, James O'Neill who played drums in Memorial. Awesome drummer plays in this band, naked pictures. Now they're so good should Mm -hmm. check them out. Um, Brendan who played guitar. Um, I have not kept up with him as much. Good guy. We just have not, I don't know what he's up to. And then Billy who played who played bass, but we sort of had a couple of different members in Memorial because between the first and second record, we had a bit of a change up there with the drummer and everything. So, but I kind of lost touch with people that were playing music or the people that I used to play a lot of music with had kind of moved on other projects. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't that sort of natural, like, Hey, let's play some music, you know? Right. That just hasn't happened.
0: So now you said you got your pilot's license. Yeah. Uh, are you ever on a commercial flight do you ever like fantasize like oh if the pilot gets sick you know i can i can handle the situation
1: <laughs> i know enough <laughs> to know that no i cannot
0: <laughs> oh okay
1: oh sure I, I definitely feel like i could fly the thing i'll i'll keep it flying but the process by which you land up something like that it's more of a computer problem than a, a a stick and rudder problem so to speak
0: i got you so yeah that's right it's all computerized now so they'd be okay
1: yeah, but usually what they would do, I think, is, you know, let's say that happened. They would divert you to the biggest, longest runway ever. Yeah. And there's, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and then everyone would say their prayers. I don't know. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so has there ever been talk of Renee Hartfeld or Memorial playing
1: again? Is there any chance? Yes, there has been talk of it, actually. Um, the problem of it is, it's, you know, it is just reality. Colin has uh a young son um Aaron is a PhD now our mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Barth and he is married with a baby and they're he just got a job at a college so he's moving he was in Richmond for a while and we kind of thought oh we have a moment here um to do this and then it just was a, an issue of can we actually get together enough to relearn these songs and play them in such a way that people would want to see it yeah and i think that was sort of enough to stop us from like getting too excited Um, because we all realize like "Ah, i don't know if we have that much time uh but i mean it's not totally off the table i mean uh especially if there were to be interest in it but it just is i don't know pragmatically if that could happen i mean i've sort of moved on a little musically i'm certainly writing new stuff i've always had like a my own personal uh chinese democracy or whatever yeah chinese democracy right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a record that started 10 years ago so it's there and i've been messing with all sorts of different sounds and kind of trying to imagine like what would this even be, you know, yeah. but, uh, it just happened. So I can't say no, but, uh, probably more likely with Memorial than Renee. Although it seems like people would be more interested to see Renee.
0: Well, you know, hearing that there's a chance makes me happy. So whether it's Renee or Memorial or both, if uh, I'll be there, if it happens, so you're guaranteed at least one attendee
1: i'll be there uh, too. i'm glad I, too. I can
0: make I, that too keith,
1: keith and tommy sweet yeah. you're on the guest list <laughs> oh no fuck. we'll pay no we'll pay
0: fuck yes no we never get on guest list we we
2: got to take advantage of this oh keith we've been on guest lists our entire lives that's like, know, that's how uh,
0: i know i'm just playing the victim oh okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we always get on guest lists. it's nice <laughs> well yeah so let's talk about this uh So this solo album that you've been working on, Pete, that's, that's, uh, or can we expect to hear that ever or is it, is it just still an idea at this
1: point? Well, no, I've recorded like four songs, but it's all, it's like more home recordings. And then, you know, you hear it for everything that it's not like everyone does. And also, especially for, it's not with regards to being recorded. So Mm -hmm. I keep thinking, am I going to sit down enough to really learn my DAW to record this properly? Or am I going to bring this somewhere to like ha- and work with someone to record it properly? So I, I tend to just get in my own way on that. Um, I sure I'd like to do that. I just yeah I don't know. But no, it's more than just like an idea in my head.
0: Now we've got the Renee Hardfelt LP reissue coming yeah. out right, and that's it's going to have a bonus track. So when did, that's coming out on Black Friday, right?
1: That's coming out on Black Friday on six six one three one records, and um, it's going to have an unreleased track from. Um, Death of the Ghost Sessions. It's got, I think, like two songs off when we played on a radio show acoustic. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, there'd be some cool stuff there. But basically all of it recorded. And then it's going to be uh, Gatefold, I believe, and pretty cool vinyl pressing. Beautiful.
0: I'm going to pick that up. There might be some unreleased memorial songs out there, but they're somewhere on a hard drive. So we're going to have to wait and hold our breath for those, maybe <laughs> one day.
1: Okay. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yes.
0: And the Pete <laughs> solo record, uh, we got to finish it, man. We, we need more from you.
1: Well, I appreciate hearing that, man. Maybe so then. Um, if I can figure out a way to do it and do it a way that it will sound good and you guys would actually appreciate it, then uh, yeah, maybe. Do people still hit
0: you up about these bands? Like, Do you hear from people about these bands like fawning over it like we are?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I will say it's few and far between, not to, uh, <laughs> but it is, and there are some – people randomly through the years for sure who have very earnestly sent us messages saying hey you know like i just love the record and i love what you guys did and do you have any other music and what are you guys doing yeah. uh and it will come sometimes just totally out of the blue and often when i'm having like a terrible day or something i'll see it i'll be like oh man that's awesome you know and yeah uh, that so it definitely makes it worth it in a weird way because it is you know doing a band you want other people to hear it you want yeah. you want to share the work right you don't want to just you know, the whole like, oh, I just wrote this song for myself. I mean, certainly there's a place for that, but probably the there is some satisfaction, just like what you were saying, where you just can connect with someone over a lyric or, or music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that still means a lot. Um, yeah. And we have a few people, you know, every couple of people a month, maybe that that reach out through uh, Facebook primarily. Or like I saw you, you had post that thing on, I'm amazed when I go on YouTube that there's some people that have posted live shows or whatever. So there's a few people out there, it seems like, who still remember Renee Hartfield.
0: Now, I didn't even realize there were live sets on YouTube. I'm going to have to go check that out. Oh, YouTube, huh? <laughs> 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 oh, man, you got me. Uh, YouTube has its place for, for certain things, okay? Game reviews, old sets. Uh, YouTube is good for older stuff. But the, my, my problem is if, if it's a brand new song, it's never on YouTube because of uh, copyright. They take it right down. So, I can't share like the newer stuff with Tommy.
2: That's true. Well, I mean, you sent me the, what did you send me the other day? And I was like, oh, this is good. But I found it right on YouTube right away. Uh, Juice World. Oh, it's up there? (laughs) Yeah, dude. It was right. It was up there right away. And I was like, fuck, dude. This is like amazing. But it was, it was instantaneous. Like, I looked at it and it was like, but uh, I, I forget who posted it, but it was definitely like, um, not somebody involved with the record making process it's like, probably know, down it? already yo oh think, i'm sure it think is think
0: about this juice world now the song we're talking about is righteous it's so good but like no juice world is like renee Hartfelt, but imagine like uh beats instead of like guitars and drums it's like it's like kind of similar
2: it is it's oh yeah dude i i am like uh so i i teach in in trenton and kids always are like put on this put on that and 99 percent of the time it's garbage but juice world is one of those newer artists that's like hip-hop that i'm like wow this actually this resonates like this it 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 makes sense like it's good and there's there's some really pretty heartfelt stuff in there not to Pun on that but <laughs>
0: no the new hip-hop there's like this new hip-hop it's basically like emo with trap beats and if it, if it's done well it's fucking awesome
2: yeah there's some that 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 juice world track is unbelievable it's just like,
0: heartbreaking so considering because the guy overdosed and died and he's just talking about like relapsing and being depressed and it's
2: just like and how gut-wrenching drugs rule his life and that he can he considers drugs as his only solution it's 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 hard to listen to but at the same time it's one of those things that it definitely has its place and it is it's really smart like it's like people are easy to dismiss that stuff and go like oh well it's just it's yeah it give it a chance really just give it a chance like i i i was very skeptical at first because remember you sent me um you didn't like it at first i converted you you No, remember you sent me the one where the, the album looked like... A, I was like, this looks like
1: a game gear. Oh, like a
2: PlayStation <laughs> 2 game, yeah. <laughs> Death Race I, for Love,
3: yeah.
1: Juice World with uh, our 14 and 15-year-old, Izzy and Taylor, uh, through my wife's first marriage, um, they loved Juice World and were so destroyed when he died. Yeah, But it's wild, too, because... That, yeah, I mean, the lyrics are, like, drenched in drug imagery. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is real, and, like, emo sort of... De- I see that like, Oh yeah, you guys are kind of doing that sort of emo thing where you're hard on the sleeve, but yes. you can't deny that that is really emo's contribution that somehow they got, it's hard to describe exactly, but the way the lyric is the earnestness of it, I guess, I don't know.
2: There's some stuff that I listen to. Like I, I brought this up previously, but like, um, whenever I drive my kids down that we go to go down the shore and, uh, I, I play promise ring, nothing feels good. Oh, and my yeah. daughters are all my daughters call it beach music. They're like, Oh, that's the one that has like the beach because like the front of it looks like, um, yeah, it, it's like a, a cut from like it, you know, the Atlantic City Boardwalk. Like, um, but like it, it, my kids just resonate. It's one of these things, it sounds so good, but when you really listen to the lyrics, you're like, Wow, this is so sad. Like there's so many things that are just horrific in it. Like you're like, oh, this is so terrible. <laughs> like then, literally, the album is called "Nothing Feels Good." <laughs> like, like, how 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 awful is that? Like, and my daughters are always they're like, put that on, put that on. I'm like, uh, you know what? I'm not in the mood for that. Like, uh,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Pete. That's another thing I meant to ask you. You, uh, what's your home situation? You're married.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, um. And live. We live right in Richmond, and uh, we have Katie's, again, kids through her first marriage, Isabel and Taylor, uh, who are 14 and 16.
0: Well, yeah, see, my girlfriend, who I'm, I think I'm moving in with uh, in a couple months, she has a 14-year-old. And that's, uh, thankfully, everybody gets along pretty nicely, and it's, a, you know, it's good. It's, it's, I tell you, it's a brand new experience for me, because I never even thought I would live with someone I was in a relationship with, but, you know. Now I'm doing that. And she has a kid. So I'm doing it all.
1: all yeah. I don't have a lot of friends who have the similar, a similar situation to me in that way, like being a stepdad kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it is unique, but it's awesome. And again, I didn't picture it either. You know, you kind of never expect that. And then, it, and then all of a sudden it's happened and you're like, all right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And th- me and the kid have like we have similar interests. She likes video games and junk food and like being on the computer. And I mean, shit, that's what I do too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome that you relate. I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in the day, I think that that's uh, the relationship is all that really matters that the, the whole, yeah. Who's parent or whatever, especially as they're getting older and older, it matters less and less. And you're becoming more of just a, an influence and mentor and all these other things. So it's kind of a unique position I get to play. You know, yes. because certainly being the father and being a mother, I mean, respect, it, it's also a whole different emotional um, place than maybe it's just a different emotional place to be in as a stepdad or a stepmom. Absolutely.
0: Like, I, I, I like to stick my nose in things and, like, impart my wisdom sometimes. So I, I have to be really careful not to do that because it's, it's not appropriate in some cases. So I, I just try to be as supportive as possible and shut up when I need to.
1: There you go
2: there you go (laughs) yeah as as someone that had a step that that kind of sucked yeah please do that (laughs) i think about that tommy i actually do you thank you i was gonna say thank you i appreciate that because he was just definitely one of those people that um imposed his own belief system and his way of running things uh without question there was no like discussion or argument Now, that's not to say that I didn't learn things from him and that he wasn't um, somebody I, in certain ways, looked up to. Um, He's very successful. He's uh, very – he's been – in terms of, like, now, like, my wife and I are both teachers, like, investing money-wise, like, he's the person I go to when I'm, like – uh, all right. Look, uh, we have this, you know, extra windfall of money. Like, what do we do with it? When when I have money in this money market account, what do I do? Where am I investing? Like, what are you doing now? Because he's been retired for twenty years almost at this point, and and lives off of just trading his, you know, trading stocks. Like, and it's 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 incredible to see that. But at the same time, um, you know, there was times where well. Keith has been around him before. He's a a difficult person to get along with.
0: <laughs> he's just kind
2: of like, you know, he's,
0: he's just kind of there. He, it's not like, hey, how you doing? You know, asking questions and stuff. He's just kind of like there. You know what yeah, I mean?
2: Yeah, he's definitely, he's a, and the other thing is he's kind of a presence, but yes. he's also, uh, he's a little bit. He's a bit much for some – when people first meet him, they're always like, oh, he's so nice. I'm like, well, give him a moment. <laughs> 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 just give him – shit, give, give him some time. I was, bring up politics right now. See how that goes off. <laughs> like, you know, was your dad, so you had a stepdad and uh, your paternal dad, was he yeah. – yeah, so my my paternal dad died when I was 5 and then my mom remarried when I was uh well <laughs> when my, my mom actually like literally remarried um when I was 28 uh my mom moved in with my stepfather when I was 14. Yeah. So it was a it was a wild time because it was definitely like but I mean it, keep in mind it, it was also uh, a lot of time of transition for a lot of us in the family where um, – so I have uh, two sisters and I have three stepsisters, and all of us being together at once was really – my stepsisters are uh, – Awesome, like I like I told you, <laughs> I texted my stepsister today, like to be like, hey, how's everything going down there? Like, uh, we're having a guest on the podcast tonight. Like, we stay in touch a lot. Like, we we are close, but um, we've always discussed like our relationship with our like their father and my stepfather as like, oh well, that's just how he is. Like, you you just kind of you you either take it or leave it. Like, it, it, he is a. Uh, an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and I
0: think about that. I don't I don't want to do that. And that's another crazy connection, Tommy. You moved in with your stepfather when you were 14. 14. And yeah. I'm going to move in with my girlfriend and her kid and she's 14, the kid. Yeah, and she's daughter.
2: actually and she's choosing high schools right now, which was um I I do owe a large part of this. Uh there were a couple options for me in terms of going to high schools and I remember my mom uh, speaking to me specifically about uh, I had gotten a partial scholarship to uh, an all-boys private school in Philadelphia, and my mom was like, look, um, you can kind of go wherever you want. Just know that if you make the decision to go to this school, um, you're going to have to get a job to help financially. My mom worked uh, nights at a prison, so she was like, this is just – it's, it's untenable for us. Like we can't do this financially. So, um, when we moved into his house, uh, I I think maybe a month or so in that first month I was there, he was like, look, I think you should go to this school and here's why. And he sat down and broke it down for me. And I I literally, it was life-changing for me, like going to that school as opposed to, I mean, I didn't go to the other school, obviously. I didn't live that life, so I don't know what my life would have turned out like. However, what I was exposed to at that school and the people I met and the level of education that I got um, got me much further in life than I think a lot of my peers did that went to that school, that went to the other option.
0: Yeah. So that's one good thing he did. Yeah. Well, (laughs) look. One one column for the good. Let's go <laughs> let's not address the bad. <laughs> Pete, we want to thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad I tracked you down because, you know, like I mentioned before, Renee Hartfeld Memorial. It's music I've just connected with so much over the years and that I come back to time and time again and uh we look forward to more. I hope I get to see you again. So thanks, uh thanks for talking to us.
1: Hey, Keith, Tommy, it's great talking to you guys, and thanks for reaching out, and uh, it's been my pleasure, man. So hopefully uh, we'll meet in real life one day. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that
0: would be awesome. And folks, listen, become a member of the Northeast scene today. Click that follow button. Click that like button. Subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify and Podbean and all the other random sites I see our RSS feed feeding into, you know, that display our podcast. Uh... Rate us, review us, write us. We haven't been getting many reviews, so we need more. Uh, And write us. Write us with your stories and, uh, you know, everything. NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. And I'm going to continue to put up your flyers and the stuff you send me when I remember and when we have time. And we're going to keep coming back every week, every Monday, new podcast, no matter what's going on. Sickness, health, death, plague, actually the kind of is a plague right now and we're still doing it so yeah Yeah. so thank you everybody for being here and until next time